Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Simsisms. Fugaziness. And I think, you know, there's a little fugaziness about how good they are as a football team. I think Rodgers masks that a lot of weeks uh, with his efficient play and some of his playmaking. I'm aware of fugazi. Yeah. I don't know that fugaziness is it, it's, official it's term. It's a little Chris I like Sims it. twist on I like there. it. Okay, you like it? I like, I like fugaziness. <laughs> okay. Simsism. Pro Football Talk Live. No Fugazian is here on Peacock, Sirius XM 211, NBCSN, Sky Sports. That's a new one for the UK and Ireland. They're rushing to the dictionary for fugaziness. I right. think you have flummoxed our friends across the Atlantic Ocean. It's also not the first time the I've podcast. done it, I'm sure. No, that's for sure. <laughs> they have they have learned all sorts of things from you, good, bad, and otherwise. We still have another hour today. Goats in a bad way draft coming up, but... Uh, uh, Chris, you know, it's it's fun to delve into the minds of these coaches, especially now that analytics has become so well accepted and coaches do the unconventional and the unconventional has become the conventional because you've got an analytics guy who's saying this is what you should do so the coach can do it. And he's got cover by saying, hey, that kid you hired from the Wharton School of Business told me to do it. It's just it's fun. There's every week. There's a whole menu of things we can look at and say, did that go right? Did that go wrong? Should you have done that? Shouldn't you have done that? And and you know what? Mike Vrabel is quickly developing a reputation for a guy who knows the rule book well. He yeah. learned well from Bill Belichick, and he knows where the loopholes are. And he saved time late in regulation against the Texans by deliberately letting the defense have 12 men on the field. And you couldn't really read his lips because he had his mask on, but you can tell he's telling the defensive players, like, what are we doing? We got 12 here. He's like, yeah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And they, they <laughs> I was like, wait, yeah. we got 12 guys here. <laughs> We're not supposed to have 12. And Frey was like, it's fine. It's okay. And uh, the, it, it was fine because they got the clock stopped. It's, it's, it's a loophole that he knows about. He's mastered the rule book. And the problem is, by taking advantage of these things, Chris, they're going to change the rules on yeah, it. Yeah, of course they are. They are. They're going to change the rules. But so what? Take advantage of them while, while you can or when you need to. And that's what he's done, you know, in the end of a few football games over the last three years. You know, let alone he did it to Bill Belichick in the playoffs last year. I mean, pissed Bill off, who had pulled it off himself early in the year against the New Bragged York about himself. it. himself, right. So, uh it, it just, it, it's, again, I think the big thing is Vrabel has shown us over the last few weeks that, holy cow, no matter how good of a coach you thought he is, he's a better coach than we gave him credit for. For the way they handled COVID-19 and that whole crap and everything there and to play like they have played with the limited practice, but just always aware of what's going on in the football game. I mean, the, the way he talks on a post-game press conference, you know, he's just, there's never, it doesn't seem to be flustered by anything. 
and knows the, the, the tricks of the trade a little bit. And that did, that did save them, you know? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that happened after, but regardless, it did stop the clock and give them some extra time and gave them a chance, of course, that we know they really needed that extra time to get that last touchdown to tie the game in, in regulation. Yeah, that drive would culminate in the Texans scoring the touchdown to put them up by seven. They went for two. It kept it a one-score game because they failed, and there was enough time left to go down and tie it up. Now, I mentioned Bill Belichick bragged about it last year when he did it in garbage time of a Monday night game against the Jets, and we should have been happy that he kept the clock running and running and running and running because it got the game over with and put everyone out of their misery. Mike Vrabel. Not inclined to brag about what he did. Here he is yesterday when reporters pressed him on his intentional violation of the rules in order to conserve time. Question for you on that late uh, 12 men on the on the field penalty against you guys. I guess uh, first question was, was that you know an intentional intentionally done to uh, to stop the clock. Um, you know we have to do a better job with penalties. You know, we had seven of them on the thing, pretty uncharacteristic, you know, a few on offense. So, you know, we'll, we have to be be better in all areas. And I think the penalties are one thing that we focus on, um, you know, communicating, trying to trying to give ourselves the best chance to, to win a football game. Right. But the, the 12 men on the field one in particular, uh, were you trying to, uh, to save some clock time by by getting that uh, the second and one, you know, just trying to trying to get them to, to try to make a stop there and, and substitute it in, um, you know, an extra DB. But you know, we we, we ultimately got to do a better job on first down uh, in four minute defense and not give up nine yards. We got to do a better job on penalties. I think you're doing a pretty good job on penalties. I think I think you know, yeah, I think you I think you figured out how to make penalties connect to your objective of winning the game. I I think that's great. And it's look, the cat's out of the bag. And I think that's the thing that probably upsets him more than anything else that people noticed it and are talking about it and the competition committee filing away. When we get to the offseason, let's change that rule and make sure the clock keeps running in a situation like that. Yeah. But you got to give them credit. It's brilliant. Whatever the rule book is, you know it inside and out. You know when you can use it to your advantage. Yep. And you do it. That's, that's what any game, whether it's Monopoly, professional football, or anything else, if there's a set of rules that control the game, you know them. And you figure out how to use those rules to your advantage. There's That's nothing right. wrong with that at all. No, nothing wrong with that. Don't hate the player, hate the game, right? That's the old phrase. I mean, he didn't he didn't make the rules the way they are. He's following the rules, taking advantage of them a little bit. Sure, yeah, fine. But that that's next level stuff. It really is. It's second and one. I mean, it's so next level. He had to like cause attention to it to make sure the refs would call the freaking penalty. They like weren't gonna call. <laughs> they didn't realize twelve were on the field at first. He kind of had to make like a, a a little bit of a scene for them to be like, wait, oh, there's twelve. Wait, let's stop the clock. They were gonna let the offense run the damn play, and it was a second and one. So he's going, they're gonna run the ball, and now I'm gonna have to burn one of my timeouts or. You know, yeah, that I'm going to have to burn one of my timeouts or I could just do this and give them the first down because they're probably going to get it anyways on a second and one and stop the clock. And maybe that'll make them because they do need a touchdown on first down, have to want to throw the ball because they're they are, you know, Houston was in a position where they wanted to score and tie the football game. So, you know, for, or, or go ahead in the football game. I'm sorry, but that that was awesome. And it really was. Now, you know, as awesome as that was and all that, I think the, the funny thing about it is we had a coach and a friend of his on the other sideline do the analytics thing and we're up by seven and we can go up by eight if we kick the extra point and we're going to go for two to make it nine. And that one, I just, I still don't get. I, I get I get it. I get it. That's the one that I can get behind. That's the one that I like. That's the one that I use in Madden before we break it down. Right. Here's Romeo Cornell. The day. What a shock. He's asked if he would do it all over again. What a shock. He says he would, but I like his explanation. Here he is. No, I wanted to go ahead and, and get the two points. Uh, and felt like that. That would kind of put it out of reach for them. Uh, and if we had gotten it, we'd have been in much better shape. Uh, as it turned out, we didn't get it. Uh, and then with the touchdown and the extra point, they tied it up, and then we're in overtime. 
and then we didn't perform in overtime, and they win the game. First time I ever noticed that maneuver was four years ago when the Patriots were Seahawks. hosting the Seahawks, yeah. and Seattle went up seven, pending the extra point late in the game, and they went for two, and I'm thinking, has Pete Carroll lost his damn mind? And then once I thought about it, wait a minute, it's the dagger. If you do it late enough in the game, there's no way they're going to score twice. You go home. And, yeah, you still you still look, you take away the necessity of getting, getting the two point conversion, but I think it's a fair trade because if you convert your two pointer, it's lights out. It's night, night, it's done. And I think that in that setting on the road against a team like the Titans, that the Texans could not stop all day. You got to deliver the death blow when you can. I like it. I get it. I'm not saying you do it all the time, Chris. And there's one key ingredient in this as well. Yeah. A head coach explained this to me a year or two ago. You got to feel good about your two-point conversion play. Definitely. It's got to be something you haven't used yet, that you practice well, that matches up against that defense. Do you feel good about the play you would use? That's part of the analysis when you decide to go for two in that spot. I, I, I get, I, you know, I get the old, I don't love that thought, overall thought. I still don't. I get it. I understand. And listen. You know, other times that maybe you do it. Yeah, maybe if I had Russell Wilson, a quarterback, and I knew I was going against New England and Tom Brady and company, maybe I would because I'd go, well, damn, the chances of Tom going down and driving and scoring a touchdown and them who have nine zillion two-point plays, they'll probably have a good one and screw us over and tie the game. So let's go for it. I get it. I do. You know, I so but I, I just, again, I think more times than not, I would rely on the fact of, you know, again, you're taking a little pressure off the other football team. And then what if they wanted to go for two and win the game? Now that you've left that up there for them, nobody ever talks about that aspect. You know, and I know that's not highly likely either, but neither was going for two went up by seven, you know, a few years ago. So when that happens, that's when a coach is going to go, oh, wait, crap, I just lost the game because we went for two. Oh, they went for two to win the game. And that, that's what it's going to take for then the coaches to start to reconsider, wait, so we'll see where yeah. that goes. But I still would make a team have to score two touchdowns, score a touchdown, and then score another touchdown from the two-yard line. Let, let me delve into the psychology of that a little yeah. bit because if you're down one and that team is driving and they score the touchdown, you're thinking as the coach on the other sideline, I'm going to have to score a touchdown and convert the two-pointer to force overtime. When they go for it and they fail and it's back to seven, you're kind of like, oh, good. I don't have to worry about converting the two-pointer. But yeah, at some point somebody's going to say, "Screw it, I'm I'm going for two anyway, and I'm going to steal the win from you." You you left the door open. That's what's going to make people finally second guess it a little. But until then, I you know it's this is the era of yes, analytics and aggressive. That's why it's a AA. It's AA. As long as you follow the analytics and as long as you in the press conference go, we were just trying to be aggressive. Everybody goes ha. <laughs> It's all good. Does it? Hey, he's being aggressive, everybody. I'm going to write an article tomorrow. They were aggressive. Let them off the hook. Doesn't matter. They were aggressive. They did. They tried to win the game. I mean, that's this is what it's all come down to is everybody gets off the well, hook with the aggressive thing now. I think there's something deeper going on. And Shereen Williams and I talked about this yesterday on PFTPM, which no one was watching because it was up against the Bills Chiefs game. So I'll go ahead and repeat it here. As these organizations hire analytics departments, smart brilliant mathematical minds who have great influence over the football operation the coach now has cover the coach and it's not just the coach has cover I think some coaches feel like I better do what the analytics person is saying because the owner I'm not hired them and everybody I'm not the one eating lunch with the owner right I'm not the one going to to Paisano's and getting the calzones and sitting in the owner's office all day long and and you know I'm out on the practice field and the, and the owner's smitten with this 25-year-old kid from Harvard Business School. And, uh, you know, and, and they're running these numbers and saying, this is what we need to do. And if I don't listen to them, they're, they're going to start saying to the owner, the coach isn't listening. My, my so thing, I, I think yeah. it's, it's almost become self-preservation, I think, for some of these coaches who feel intimidated by the analytics department oh. that their owner has set up. You're, my, you're right about that. I know that for sure. I've heard coaches. I mean, I've had conversations with coaches who, yes, they, they feel like they almost have to bow down to that part of their franchise right now where you almost got to like, oh, got to listen to them. They've got the ear of the owner and the GM and things like that to where it's added an extra little dynamic to the to a lot of different football teams. You know, but the thing I will always argue is, is there a formula for 
what Mike Vrabel might do on a gotta-have-it type play at the two-yard line, a guy who will call any defense and invent defenses that we haven't seen all year, but for this game he's invented it and it's come out. Is there a formula for that? See, that's where I just don't always want to go like numbers, numbers, numbers. Hey, yeah, it's good to go for it in fourth and one. Yeah, it's great to go fourth and one. Is it good to go against it in fourth and one when, you know, there's four 350-pounders on the other side like the Baltimore Ravens? What do the analytics say about that as to them specifically? So those are the things that I just look at sometimes and just go, there's loopholes there that are – you have to take into account the opponent that week and the game and how it's going that way uh, to where the numbers just, I don't think, always tell the story. And I think eventually what you have to do, and here's the problem, there aren't enough hours in the week in advance of a game. You almost need to have analytics sessions where you go through every possible permutation mm -hmm. where you may be making decisions to go for two, to go for it on fourth down, what part of the field, how much time left in the game. You've got an entire float chart that kicks in based upon the opponent. That's the thing. Because that's what I would want to say to the Atlantic, uh, the analytics people. Don't tell me 48.2% of the time this works. Because that is an amalgamation of... Yeah, that's a, the Jets, and years the Jets and years. defense yeah. is taken into that. Right, right. You know? right, right. 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 Let's, every week, you tell me, Mr. Analytics Expert, you tell me how these numbers change given this opponent given that we're playing outdoors, given that it's going to be 42 degrees and there's a 25% chance of, of right. rain. I mean, they, they My say My backup guard's in. playing. I don't you know, buy it. Yeah. I don't buy that you can build all of it in. Yeah. I don't buy it. And if, and if they can build it all in, then it needs – then, then you, know what, you know what needs to be happening? What needs to be happening is when the coaches face the music after the game – and they say, why did you do it? Yeah. Say, we had an analytics, analytics meeting. And it, was pre it was predetermined that in this setting, that's what we were going to do. The decision was made as an organization on Thursday that if we get into this spot, this is what we're going to do. And we have that meeting every week, and we make the decision every week as to what we're going to do if we're in this spot. And for this week, that's the decision that was made. That's where it needs to go. If they're going to embrace it, they need to fully embrace it. And the, and the coach essentially becomes a robot who is – who is uh, doing whatever. But, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, well, it's, a, it's a weird balance. It is. And that's the thing. At some point, it doesn't fit. At some point, the, the mathematics and the formulas don't fit the feel and the flow of the game. And so you're left with right. whatever a coach decides to do in the moment, and he either has to answer to the media or he's got to answer to the owner when the owner says, we've got this analytics department. Why didn't you listen to them? Yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's a very real aspect. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. I'll be interested to see if the analytics continue to kind of, you know, grow and conform like you're talking about to where they can be more specific like that. Um, there's certainly benefits to it. We both know that. We're not trying to discredit it. But it just feels like I think on a lot of Sundays, you, I, Coach Dungy, I mean, other friends I talk to in football that are really damn good coaches where they're just a little, like, flummoxed, for lack of, lack of a better word, when they're watching a game or we're talking about football and they just, like, oh, yeah, the analytics, you know. So there is some of that, like, you know, discontent with the coaching community, too, where they feel like I think analytics are becoming a little bit overbearing in the conversation, too. I think ultimately it comes down to hiring people you trust trusting them to make decisions, and the owners can't act like fans when the decision doesn't work out. The owner has to understand why the coach did what the coach did. And, you know, the problem is the coach has another game to get ready for. The coach can't sit in the owner's office and explain for two hours why they did what they did. Well, that's what's going on. Some owners on, want that, yeah. and some don't. Right. But when, but when you complicate the decision-making process, because 30 years ago, why'd you do it? Because I thought it was the right thing to do. Now, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? Look at this on. analytics. Look at that. Right. And you're wasting time when you could be getting ready for the next game. Uh, I think that's the that's the issue coaches are having. There, so there's some coaches in football that I think on Monday have to go and answer questions from the analytics part of their organization to go, why didn't you do this on this play? Why didn't you run this play here? All of those type of things. And yeah, that's cool. But you know, again, I think that goes back to your point. You know, if they're going to do that and bow down to them and do that, then they need to start calling them out and press post game press conferences and be like, hey, you know, Johnny, who does the analytics, who's, you know, across the country at home doing it, but like Zoom calling us in, 
You know, he told us this is what we're supposed to do. So I'm, I'm going with him. The owner hired him, and the owner told me to listen to him. They just got to start calling him out that way. It'll, it's going to happen. It just might not happen, like, totally publicly like that. But, yeah, it's well, uh, it's. But that's the thing. The coach, the coach ultimately will be admitting that he's really not the coach, mm. that there's somebody else who's pulling his strings. That, that, and that it's just it's fascinating to me because this is the kind of thinking that transcends sport. And, and in any organization, you have this from time to time where the boss gets some bright idea and they make a huge investment. There's an initiative in this that changes the way everybody does everything. And you're like, what am I supposed to do now when this comes up? But we've got this big initiative. We got to do this now, you know, something that, 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 that becomes a point of emphasis in, a, in whatever company it is. And it creates friction. And it creates questions. It creates confusion. It makes it harder at times to do your job. And I think some coaches, Chris, based upon what you're hearing from your friends, they're experiencing that. It's harder to do their jobs with the complications that arise from having to answer to the owner and answer to the analytics department. Yeah. No, they're feeling the pressure. I think it goes into their brains when they're in the game thinking about all those dynamics we just talked about and where they go from there. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's not going anywhere. We could see it's, it's overtaking the sport. There's a lot of cool things about it, but yeah, there's some issues too, that I don't buy into. And yeah, it's going to be interesting just to see how coaches and organizations kind of formulate all this together that they think it works the best for them going forward. It's one thing to make the decision. It's another thing to execute the decision. Now it didn't take any analytics experts for Doug Peterson to know that he needed to go for two, went down two after scoring a touchdown late against the Ravens and almost completing what would have been one of the more impressive comebacks of the year. But there was a problem with actually getting the play called and getting the play communicated to the quarterback. Here's Peterson taking some responsibility for what went wrong on that fateful two-point try. Great opportunity right there to, to you know, score, tie the football game. Um, you know, I can do I can do better um, as far as getting the play in and, and you know, giving giving our guys a better opportunity um, play call wise too in that in that situation. But you know, credit them, made the stop and uh, just a little bit short. Point I made last night, he seems awfully relaxed for a guy that everybody in Philadelphia wants to have fired. Hmm. I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed by his calm. And I re it really frustrates me because they still have a fairly new Super Bowl trophy. Yeah. I wish Eagles fans would be a little more forgiving here. But, uh, you know, hey, he's acknowledging he made a mistake. He's acknowledging that that's on him. And uh, it really is impressive that they made that game as close as it was. But it's depressing for an Eagles fan that they had a chance to – to tie it up, and there was some sort of mechanical issue that kept them from getting the right play called timely enough for it to be executed the right way. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I mean, I, I wonder what went on there. What, what exactly he's specifically talking about? You know, we broke down this play a little bit in Football Night in America because Coach Dungey and I, as we were watching the game live, we just went, "Well, wait, you that that play, the look was never right to run that play. There was going to be two guys unblocked." There was a pre-snap motion, you know, the old read option where you stick it in the running back's belly. If the defensive end crashes, then you keep it and go. Well, the defensive end crashed, but they also had an outside linebacker there as well. And I don't know if Philly expected them to be doing something different schematically or what it was, but at no point was there a look to go, oh, I think this is going to be the look where he keeps it and runs for a touchdown. I guess that's where I was a, a, a little su surprised you know, in general, especially for a team that had the, the, the first touchdown of the game, they went for two. You know, I just would I would have thought they have more in the bank as far as two-point plays and that type of stuff. But the Eagles, that, this is the way they live. You know, and, you know, Mike, I still look at the Eagles and I have respect for them in a lot of ways because of Doug Peterson, the way he carries himself, and the way they hang in there in these games. I mean, they're not horrible. They've played some really good damn teams and – uh, I, I guess I respect that, even though they're in a bad spot right now. I think right now, if I had to pick one of the four teams in the NFC East to win the division, you're going with them, the right? Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. me too. Right? Because they they've been there and done that. Yes. They've been the past two years. They're overlooked. They're outcast. They're done. It's over. And then they find a way to get it all together late in the season when everything matters, and they get a chance on Thursday night against the Giants to get to two four and one, and uh, they still have two games against the Cowboys. Yep. That, that they'll have to play, and, uh, you know, they, they, it just feels like the Cowboys are moving in the wrong direction, 
the Eagles are kind of rudderless right now, but at some point they're going to find their way. And I think a game like what they had on Sunday when they did show themselves, they can dig out of that hole. They can come back. Maybe that does give them a little something going into the easier part of the schedule after they they barely lose to the Ravens. Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think there is something to be, you know, take away there. You know, even the way they hung in there against Pittsburgh the week before, it was a similar type of thing. Uh, they've had a tough schedule. They, they definitely have. And they're a physical football team, and we're still waiting for some of these offensive weapons to come back to where maybe when Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey get back, it won't be just Carson Wentz having to be Hercules all game long. I mean, he's the only thing they got. You know, I, I again, I watched highlight shows yesterday, and people were talking about bench Carson Wentz, and I want to go, wait, bench the best player on their team? What, what, what? I mean, he can't do it all. I just don't know what people expect from the guy. I mean, we're, his number one target by far is a guy that nobody's never even heard of in Fulgham. I mean, nobody. So I don't know where the expectations are so high there. He went two-point conversion to tie a game against a Baltimore Ravens team that is in a different class than his Philadelphia Eagles team. And the only reason the Eagles were there and it was in it was Carson Wentz. So I just wish people would stop that hate on him. And I wish everybody would just stop the, if they lose, we blame the quarterback. If they win, we give the quarterback credit. I mean, we are just so obsessed with that right now as football fans. It's driving me crazy. I think part of it too, as it relates to Eagles fans. And I think this is human yeah. nature. Once you get it, once you get a taste of that, that championship life, yeah, you want it again, right? And and you don't want to go back to being seven and nine. You 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 want it, and you don't want anyone else to have it because you know how good it was, and it, it drives you crazy every year to see another team get to do what you did. You want it. It it just becomes an obsession, and yep. I think that's part of the problem in Philadelphia. They're obsessed with the idea of getting another one now that they've gotten their first one. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, we watched the film. Was O Aaron Rodgers? As bad as we thought, we're going to break it down. The Packers, Buccaneers, bloodbath from Sunday. We'll do that when PFT Live continues with that. Christopher, we have many detectives. We have many sources. And someone pointed out yesterday that your new Simsism, I'm a cream of the crop, I rise to the top, comes from uh, Jump Around by House of <laughs> Jump Pain. Jump Around. We're, we're, did you steal it from them, from them, <laughs> or did they steal it from you? Well, no, they, they didn't steal it from me. I know that. I, I probably because like, you were like six. Well, yeah, it was. I was. I was a little older than that, but subliminally, that's probably where I got it. I mean, I, I think I, I, I really don't even know. But just yes, that was maybe my sixth, seventh, eighth grade years, right of my life, where I was really kind of getting into music and things like that. I did know the song very well, and when you text me that email yesterday. I think I responded to you. I go, well, maybe that's where I got it from and just didn't really realize it. Well, it's going to be part of the lexicon. It may even go on the bingo card before <laughs> uh, all is said and done. All right. The cream of the crop rose to the top on Sunday in Tampa Bay. We didn't expect it to go this way, especially when it was 10 nothing. Green Bay Packers over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but the floodgates opened and they stayed open to the tune of 38-10. to 10. Chris, uh, we both went back and rewatched the game uh, because usually we're processing about a thousand things at the same time around four o'clock Eastern on Sunday. Was it as bad for Aaron Rodgers as it seemed? Yes, it was. It was as bad. There's no doubt. And it is as bad as it seemed for the Buck. I mean, for the, the Packers football team as well. You know, again, uh, I think there's a lot of things that are concerning when the big picture of the Packers are talking about Super Bowl contention and can they, you know, beat the the upper class of the NFL and the NFC and all those things. Yeah, I think there is some issues there. Hey, the the first first two drives of the game, they go down, they get 10 points. You know, it looked like it was, you know, like clockwork on TV. But when you watch on film, Mike, you realize it was Rodgers kind of extending plays, getting out of the pocket. It wasn't the offense delivering. He made a few plays by himself and hit some people down the field as he scrambled, manipulating the coverage, got the bucks and blitz a few times, things like that. But after that, I mean, of course, he makes a mistake that we don't ever really see him make. And that put them in a tough spot. And then Devontae Adams into a tight window, interception down the two-yard line. Rodgers, though, from that point on, just was not himself. He was not. And I think between the 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 beast the Bucks have up front and being around him and collapsing the pocket and as fast as they are at linebacker, 
And then these DBs, as they settled in, they had no fear of the Packers wide receivers. I mean, zero. You saw it on the first interception. You know, Jamal Dean, he didn't move. He was just sitting there. He's going, Devontae Adams, if he runs by me, I'll catch him. I'm not worried about it. There was no fear there. And, yes, Rodgers was rattled. The offense was rattled. And I, they were really outclassed by the Buccaneers, in my opinion. Did you feel that way, too? Yeah, and on that first interception, yeah. I'd love to know what was firing through the synapses in Aaron Rodgers' brain because he gave the ball a quick pat. Did you notice that? Yeah. Before he threw it, he gave it a quick pat. And he doesn't do that very often. And is he thinking, ah, what the hell? Is he thinking, I got this? It was just kind of an odd little gesture because you juxtapose it against pick six everything seems normal he does that quick pat he fires it and it's gone the other way and it happened in the blink of an eye and as he said himself those don't happen very often to him and they don't that's what makes it so jarring I watched that thing like 10 times and it doesn't want to process because like Aaron Rodgers doesn't do this but I kept seeing that little pat of the ball and I just love to know what he's thinking in that instant where he gives it that quick pat and he lets it go because something went wrong there. Yeah, right. And it doesn't happen to him. I think well, he was – well, yeah, I mean, it did. But you're right, it doesn't happen often. I think he was sitting there going, this guy, I'm going to pat the ball because once he sees Devontae Adams another foot or two away from him, he's going to be scared. He's going to run a go route, and he'll turn his hips and give me the out route. And Jamel Dean just said, no, I can kind of see you, and I can really run. He's really fast. And – I think he just had a good look of where Rodgers was in the pocket, Devontae Adams' body language. And then the big thing to me was, you know, once Rodgers recognized it was tight coverage, he didn't throw the normal Roger. I just If he unleashed the rocket, maybe he gets it in there. But it's kind of like he tried to place it a little bit. He didn't just totally fire it. Uh, that was the one thing that jumped out to me. But that interception, Mike, you know, we get the next one which is a little unlucky, but it's still it's it's Carlton Davis, who's another stud corner all over Devontae Adams. We, we've seen that flagged before. Right. We have. We had the arm. He had the arm around his back. Yes. And he was reaching over the front. We've seen that flagged. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you're, you're right. But, you know, again, when you when you make a living throwing balls into tight windows like that, as they do so often, that's going to happen every now and then, too. Right. Happened last year. Last play of the game against the Eagles. They tried to throw a slant like that down and close to the end zone popped up in the air I believe it was intercepted so uh that but I think the the, the big thing to me more than anything is now it's 14 10 bucks right and Rodgers has two opportunities to hit some big plays down the field Aaron Jones drops a ball on the sideline that I think Rodgers could have thrown a little bit better and then there was Mercedes Lewis wide, wide open down the middle and that was like the one and only point where you went, ooh, I think Green Bay could have maybe stolen some momentum back from the football game. And they were unable to there. And I think it was because Rod Rodgers was, yeah, he was a little rattled by the pass rush. Of course, his mistakes. He's human that way. And from that point on, it was night-night. The Buccaneers just obliterated them from that standpoint and just physically pushed them around every which way they wanted to. I want to give Carlton Davis some credit, though. I think he broke up the Aaron Jones catch on this the one that was originally ruled a catch yeah, and right, overturned right I think Davis had something to do with that ball coming out it wasn't just a, a, a classic drop but then Rodgers did miss Mercedes Lewis and as you're watching the game and you know it's like you know how the book ends but you still are working your way through the chapters to understand why it went the way it did that was the first moment he seemed rattled to me that yes, drive and, right. and why wouldn't he be right two interceptions but everything's fine it's 10 nothing hey we're gonna show Tom Brady oh crap it's 14 to 10 but he did seem rattled. And I think you're right. In the early drives, even though they scored, I think he got a sense this has a chance to maybe be a little more painful to me than normal games because I'm I'm having to run away from some guys who are pretty damn good. Yeah, that's right. And then they stopped that. You know, they they found a way to kind of keep him in the pocket. They collapsed the pocket. That's, you know, again, they were able to collapse the pocket with four people pretty much all game long, an occasional blitz here and there. Uh but we, as we know, against any great quarterbacks, and then Todd Bowles, he's very creative on the back end. He did some cool things that way. But overall, I mean, just watching back the game, it didn't make me feel any better about the Packers as a football team. It didn't. They have real flaws. They, they're, you know, their offense. Yes, it lacks weaponry when they get behind against the really good teams in football. This is where you go. Oh, I wish they would have drafted that receiver in the end of the first round. Because when they get in a game like this, maybe it would have helped to have, you know, Justin Jefferson out there or some 
uh, other top end Chase Claypool, whoever it want. That that would have made the Buccaneers have to think things over a little differently how they wanted to play the football game. But you know, all in all, uh, they have to play with a lead, and that's where it worries me for the Packers as as they go forward. Because physically up front, they were not in the same class on either side of the ball as the Buccaneers. Yeah, Chris, another key play came when it was 21-10, to 10, the drive before the Gronkowski touchdown that made it 28-10. to 10. Packers had the ball third and three on their own 32. Levante David was shot out of a cannon to sack Aaron Rodgers. And it's like nobody even saw him. And, and, you know, there's a certain element of defensive design that is aimed at putting guys in spots where it's not expected they're going to blitz. But he just ran right by the left tackle. I mean, the left tackle focused on the defensive end. Devontae, uh, Levante David straight in and down went Aaron Rodgers. That drive ends. Yep. And then it's 28 to 10. And once it's 28 to 10, that's that. Yeah, well, that was that. You're right. That was. And, uh, well, Bowles does a great job of – he. Made, if you heard my clip before this – the illusion of complexity. Hey, two guys blitz, but two guys drop out. It confuses the offensive line, you know, to where, you know, the quarterback's not sure if he's protected. The offensive line's at a little bit of a disadvantage that way, too. You just don't know where it's going to go and all those type of things. But, yes, Rodgers was definitely feeling the pressure all day long. And Bowles and company do a great job of disguising and not tipping their blitzes. That's another thing that jumps out, like, you know, they, they don't – when Rodgers would do dummy snap counts, you know how we always see defenses kind of like jump or they show their hand like, oh, you know, he goes set, hot, 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 and they move like, oh, we're, oh I was going to blitz, and now, now he's got you. Oh, you're coming. Okay, let me get in this play. He signals, and you're screwed. Bowles didn't let Rodgers do that. That was a big part of the game. They, like, stayed very still. He went through the dummy snap counts. They didn't move. And then when they knew, okay, we think it's real here – Let's do it at the last second. But between that, Mike, and then, you know, Brady and the run game having their way against that defense and everything like that, that's that's got to be discouraging for the Green Bay Packers football team too. And that's why I sit here and go, I'm not saying they're the best team, but the Bucks are definitely in the conversation for the most well-rounded football team in the NFC. And they're still a work in progress and I wouldn't be shocked in three or four weeks if we were saying, no, no, the best team in the NFC now is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. One other thing I noticed before we talk more about the Tampa Bay offense and specifically Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. On the late hit call on Indomitian Sue late in the first half, and, and we only see flashes. We see moments based upon how they go from camera to camera during the broadcast. But, you know, Sue just commits a late hit on Aaron Rodgers. And, and, and I'm just I'm – just, making an observation. I'm not suggesting there's any type of an issue whatsoever. I just thought it was unusual. Billy Turner, the right tackle, like goes up to Sue and is like laughing. Like, isn't that a moment where you go up to Sue and push him or shove him or MF him or something? You know, he just take a, he took, took a late hit on your quarterback. I just thought it was weird to see Billy Turner laughing, smiling, jovial with Sue after Sue took a late hit on Rodgers. Am I, I, I off base? Yeah, no, no. Mike, Mike, I'm kind of – I thought the whole Packers football team was like that in the game yet the other day. Like, just a little too, like, oh, relaxed and we're Green Bay and this is going to be a fun show today against Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay was serious and mad as hell. They, they weren't, like – you know, smiling and laughing. Brady wasn't like joking with defensive linemen and doing any of that. You know, so that, that to me is where maybe like when Rodgers after the game is going, maybe we needed this wake up call. Maybe we were just thinking we're like that. That was what I took it as because I did. I felt like there was they were there to, have, you know, put on a show and the other team was there for battle and to prove a point to go like, hey, we just lost and we're every bit as damn good as you. And we'll, we'll we might see you again here later on this year. And we'll we're going to let you know we're a force to be reckoned with. But uh, yeah, yeah, the attitude, the toughness of the Buccaneer, I mean, of the uh, the the Packers, it got exposed by the Bucks a little bit, yeah, on Sunday. Remember Zadarius Smith yeah. with us at the Super Bowl talking about the NFC Championship game. Right. There's something something misfires for this team when they go on the road for big games, and they haven't fixed it. No. As good as they are, as good as they are, the rest of the time they go on the road for a big game, and there's something that just doesn't work. And Zadarius Smith talked to us about that very candidly, and I think we saw that yeah. play out on Sunday against the Buccaneers. All right, goats in a bad way for week six when this Tuesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chris, before we get to the goats in a bad way, draft for week six, Tom Brady in that performance on Sunday. You know, we talked a lot about Aaron Rodgers not looking all that great. How did Brady look to you? Well, I I mean, you know, Brady, I thought, looked really, really good. I do. I don't care what the stats say or anything like that. You know, the game wasn't there to be, like, just opened up, throw it all over the field. But what I'm encouraged by, by the Bucs in general – like Bruce Arians and company didn't just, you know, no risk it, no biscuit. We're going to let Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith rush us, and we're still going to throw the ball down the field. They managed the game and got a feel for the game and then got the game the way they wanted to, and then Brady dissection started. I mean, the amazing thing about Brady is you just get him inside the 10-yard line. It's like it's almost like sometimes you're just going to go, ah, just like forget it. He's going to throw a touchdown pass. Forget it. Let's move on. But they got Gronk going, and – Mike Evans and Chris Godwin weren't even healthy. I mean, they weren't even themselves. So that just, I again, the Buccaneers, their potential is really special. And I think Brady and the offense are really starting to mold together really nicely to where, you know, it can be real special here in a few weeks. First half, Gronk, the catches he made, even the touchdown catch, he still had that look of a guy who doesn't have his legs back. Second quarter, second half, rather, I think it was the first drive, 31-yard catch down the middle. That yeah. was the first time he looked like the old Gronk to me. That I was agreed. the first time all year. Agreed. You know? the, the, and that's that's yeah. a good sign. It definitely is. There, he was definitely, as you have said, he was out of the mud a little bit in this game. He was, it, was, it was at least dried mud, and he did look better and like a little bit more explosive. And, hey, getting a few catches, getting the touchdowns, I'm sure that'll take a little bit of the pressure and make things a little bit better for him too to where he's a little more free to go out there and let it, you know, let it fly next week too. I guess we got a bingo. I, I guess Gronk running in mud. Gronk runs in bingo! mud. Bingo! I did not say mud. Chris is the one who said mud. Oh, oh so, I pointed the wrong way. Oh, I'm, I'm wrong. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Goats, goats in a bad way. There it is down there. I got it figured out. It's over there. Goats in a bad way. I'll, I'll give you the first pick because I'm in a somewhat good mood. Okay, great. I'm, I'm glad you're – I'll go with Aaron Rodgers then. I, yep, I'm gonna. I mean, it's my guy. We know it. Yes, I love him. But, damn, it's 10 nothing. We need you to take care of the freaking football, okay, Aaron Rodgers? And he did not. Unlike him, yes, we know, but that was a big turnover and a big moment against a team that was better than them, and they needed him to play a somewhat perfect Aaron Rodgers type of football game there. And that certainly gave the Bucks a breath of fresh air, got them off the schneid a little bit, and got them going. And then, of course, there was another turnover after that. But that was not a good Rodgers performance. I think those two interceptions flustered him and did affect him in the rest of the game, let alone the pass rush and that talented defense with the Buccaneers. That's why I gave you the first pick. Thank you. I knew you'd pick him. You have, you have really cooled in your Aaron I just Rogers keep it fandom. real. I just keep it real. On the other hand, <laughs> I've remained consistent in my assessment of Kirk Cousins, who will be my first pick. <laughs> First pick, first pass, right out of the gates. Yeah. Interception, a three-interception day. And look, he made it worse after the game by saying, if I keep throwing interceptions, I won't be playing. Kirk, look at the depth chart. Your backup is Sean Mannion. Yes, you will still be playing. You're going to have to throw a lot of interceptions to get benched for Sean freaking Mannion. All due respect to Sean Mannion. But I think it's probably too late for that. But it's it's just <laughs> not working. It's not working this year. Whatever the reasoning. Whether you got guys who think they're on scholarship, whether Kirk was just never very good, 
you know, he, he, he's, he, like I said yesterday, he's just good enough to be bad. He's just good enough to be, to be in a high-profile spot where he can't get it done. He's been competent enough throughout his career to earn the opportunity to be a, a mid-level and at times not good enough starting quarterback. That's where he is, and he's gotten paid a crap load of money to do it. He's won. Show's over. Doesn't matter what he does from this point forward with all the money he's made. But uh, I, I And the Vikings uh, are stuck for two more years after this one unless they work out some sort of financial magic with his contract. Yeah, I, listen, I, I get it, and it's not a good day by Kirk Cousins. Yes, I don't care how what he is. You, you can't start the game off making those type of mistakes and putting them you know, in a, such a tough spot like that a reeling football team. And like you heard me say yesterday, again, I don't think they do him a whole lot of justice by the way they've formulated that scheme and offense around him too. But either way, we make that type of money and those dumb mistakes, you hey, get on the GOAT draft. Right, and here's the other thing too. Yeah. Somebody in that organization had to be the ones to say, don't let what happened in Seattle linger. Tom Brady's not going to let it linger. The great quarterbacks are not going to let it linger and, and turn it in, as you said, into two losses. Yeah. So part of that's on him too. Yeah, I, I get that. That is, it's part of a quarterback to be able to turn the narrative around and change the, the mojo of the football team. Um, well, you got a quarterback that threw an interception on their first pass. I'll see that quarterback and raise it with another quarterback who threw an interception on their first pass. Baker Mayfield. I mean, come on. The Cleveland freaking Browns. The biggest game you guys have had in forever. Like, oh, are they for real? We're all tuned in. And when he threw that interception, we went, eh, I think they're not for real. Like, this is going to be trouble. It just You knew right then you were going, uh-oh, here we go. And, yes, to kind of start the game off that way, to put your team down, you know, right off the bat like that, uh, that, that's that's brutal that way. That really is. Now they're down ten nothing, and of course the interception he throws later in the second quarter is almost as egregiously as bad. In fact, you texted me yesterday, I think, when you were watching it, like, what the hell was he doing on the second interception? I don't know. And that's where Baker Mayfield, he's got talent, and we know that, but man, inaccurate, and they have to manage him to a degree right now, and that's where it's a little scary. Some of a Baker Mayfield, when, when everything's going well, it's fine. When it's not going well, he just doesn't even look like a quarterback. Like, there's something about his pads. There's something about his flak jacket. There's something about his build. There's something about the way he moves where he just doesn't look like he should be playing quarterback. <laughs> and, it's, it, it, and on the days when it's not working. Yeah. On the days when it's working, it's not noticeable. On the days when it's not working, it's like, are, are we sure that this is the guy? Is, it, is this him? Did you send the right guy off the sideline? Because he just doesn't look like a quarterback, and he definitely didn't look like one on Sunday. All right, next one for me, and there are plenty to choose from. I guess i got to go with Zeke. I mean, he would put himself yeah, on the list. Yeah, y He's got the fumbling problem. He's trying to do too much. He's let it get into his head. He's got a lot of work to do to turn it around and try to, to be – just don't try to do too much. Understand you don't have an offensive line. Understand you don't have Dak – don't try to gain 25 yards on every play. Don't try to win the game on every snap. Just do what you can and just hold on to the football. And I know it's easier said than done, but that's where he needs to get, Chris. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, you just, you never would have expected that he would have had this type of issue or done anything like that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I really am. And yeah, I, I get you picking. I wrote him down. I was going to be my next pick was going to be Zeke Elliott. I was hoping you were going to forget it. Um, you know. I'm going to go with like, I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens defense. I am I because I expect more from them. I hold them to a high standard. I mean, that lead against that team with no weapons to let them come back and have a chance to tie the football game. I mean, up 24 to six, up 30 to 14. I'm just shocked by that. And it's not necessarily just all the players too. I'm adding like Wink Martindale and some of that too. You know, they, they, they were over-aggressive down the stretch, let Carson Wentz just throw balls up one-on-one, 50-50 balls, all those type of things. But, hey, I you know me. I, I like this Ravens team. I like the Ravens defense. I'm a big fan of Wink Martindale. I, I root for them. And to me, yeah, the way they kind of managed the end of that football game the other day, and especially the way they played on the defensive side, I mean, they should have put that game away. 10 minutes before that, and it should have been over with and done deal. Instead, they let Philadelphia and Wentz hang around and make plays and almost tie the damn football game. 
There's so much wrong with the New York Jets right now, but I got to give the goat horns to Greg Williams. We pointed this out yesterday. He shouldn't have been running his mouth last week about how it's not the defense's fault. They're giving up all those points, throwing shade at the offense. That's the last thing this team needs, yeah, especially seriously. on the cusp of their last best chance to win a game before the bye week. And I don't know, at some level, is he trying to finagle the opportunity to be the interim head coach? I don't know, but it was a bad look for a bad team. And it, yeah, it does feel like he's going to be the interim head coach. And you know what? Maybe that's the best punishment for him. You get to coach this thing all the way to 0-16 after uh, there's a change made when the bye week comes following games against the Chiefs, Bills, and Patriots over the next three weeks. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break, Chris. Uh, you know, and, and look, we're trying to be positive most of the time, but on Tuesdays, we, 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 have, to, we have to point out. Everybody knows. They all know. And we're going to be positive when we come back because one of the all-time greats at the play-by-play position in any sport, Doc Emmerich, retiring. We're going to talk about him and some of our favorite all-time play-by-play announcers when PFT Live continues right after this. There's your weekday lineup on the NBC Sports Channel on Peacock, PFT Live, Dan Patrick Show, Rich Eisen, brother from another PFT PM. We have Derek Henry live today on Whoa. PFT PM. Whoa. Yes. First live, first live player guest. We've had live media guests, but, you know, rock, scissors, paper. We'll take player coach live whenever we can. Dan rock, Patrick's paper, have, scissors. Rock, whatever. Paper, rock, whatever. paper, scissors, whatever. shoot. Okay. Holy. Whatever. I've never seen a guy screw shoot, up that yes. up. Yes. Shoot. Shoot is a yes. Uh, Doc Emmerich will be on with Dan Patrick, by the way. Doc Emmerich retiring after a 47-year career and and truly one of the best ever. Ever. ever I just, it, was, it made the game more exciting to watch when Doc Emmerich called it. That is the hallmark of a guy who is among the best ever. You and I enjoyed I enjoyed it more when it was his voice accompanying the action. To- totally. Much more. I agreed. I mean, I'm not a huge hockey fan, but when I heard him, I knew, oh, this must be a big game, and it just – it's one of the greatest voices ever. It really is. And, uh, yeah, shame to see him go. Awesome. I mean, to me, he's like the he's like the Pat Summerall for me growing up as a kid. That was like that guy, right, where I heard him. I went, oh, it's a big game. Pat's here. Let's go. Uh, so good luck to Doc Emmerich and, uh, you know, his career and life after, after announcing. Generally speaking, chain smoking, not a good thing, but it can do wonders for the voice. And it made Pat Summerall even better. And when I was a kid, if it was Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire, that was the game. And uh, that's the the name that always comes to mind for me. But all the best to uh, Doc Emmerich. And here's the Dan Patrick Show on Peacock. All right, Dan. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 